Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here of Redemption Hill Church. Thanks for tuning in uh, to this sermon and, and thanks for uh, taking the time to listen and uh, be a part of, a, of this particular message as we dive into God's Word. If you don't know, I just want to bring you up to speed of where we've been and where we're going. Uh, we've been in this sermon series called The Christian Life and it's really simple. Just asking the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to, to live this life, especially in this COVID-19 context? And so uh, several weeks ago, we looked, we looked at what it means to have greater faith over the fear. And especially, we know what's happening, COVID-19 is creating a lot of anxiety and fear. What does it mean to have faith and enter into faith and move into faith and grow in our faith in light of this context? Uh, last week, we, we saw what, it, what the Bible says about what it means to have victory um, especially as we think about COVID-19. What does it mean to have victory right now as we anticipate and look forward um, the, the final victory to come that is found in Jesus Christ? And then today we'll continue on in this sermon series, The Christian Life, as we look at what it means to love. And so we, first we saw faith, and then what it means to have victory. Now what does it mean to love? Not only love God, but but love our neighbor as well. And so that's where we're at. So if you have your Bible, please open it up to Mark 12, verse 28. I'll read this passage, and then I'll pray, and then we'll just dive in and see what God has for us this morning. Mark 12, verse 28. Here's God's word for us. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Verse 32. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all of our heart, and with our understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is much more than the whole burnt offering and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how it speaks and instructs our heart. As, it, as you speak and instruct our heart this morning, we also want changed lives. So by the power of your Spirit, as we dig into your Word, help us to love you. Help us be practical in that. Help us to love others. And help, us be, help us to find practical ways to love others well. For our good, but also for the honor and glory of your name. Amen. Love. L-O-V-E. Everyone uses the word in various ways, right? Uh, for example, I love my wife. I love the Chicago Cubs. Uh, I love Star Wars. If you know me, I'm, I love Star Wars, except for the prequels. Don't love those. But all the other ones, I'm great. I love my kids. I love my dog, Winston. 
Um, the word love is used as a verb, as I just demonstrated. Uh, it's used as a noun, and it's used as an adjective. Uh, there are even movements throughout American history that are defined by the word love. Uh, here, here, here's an example. Like, I am the son of a hippie. Now, if you don't know that, now you do. I am the son of a hippie. I have hippie parents. Uh, and because I'm the son of a hippie, I heard growing up a lot about love. The word was used to talk about the hippie revolution that took place in the mid-60s, beginning in Greenwich Village in New York City and also in San Francisco's Haight-Ashbury district. In, a, in, a, in this quasi-interview with, with my dad that I had um, this last week, uh, I asked him to describe this movement that he fondly remembers and was always talking about and still talks about. He said the movement is the, quote, the love generation. He described the movement with other nouns for sure, but certainly he was emphasizing and highlighting love. Uh, at the end of my conversation with my, with my father, uh, he said something I did not expect. Uh, he said many hippies that were, during that time, were interested in Christianity and curious about what the Bible says about love, and they were curious about what Jesus has to say about love. The love debate is also taking place and has taken place in philosophical circles and in this philosophical realm. For example, uh, Aristotle, the 4th century B.C. Greek philosopher, has said in his book entitled, or his treatise entitled Nicodemian Ethics, uh, that self-love is the prerequisite to loving others. He thinks self-love is a proper and good emotion for, for a person. And this particular love debate continues today in American universities and colleges where Aristotelian ethics is commonplace. It's the commonplace of departure for a lot of philosophy classes. You know, even the etymology of the word philosophy means pursuit of the love of wisdom. Um, you can go ahead and put into the Amazon.com search bar uh, books on love and you know what you're going to get? A endless amount of authors who have their take on love or what it means to love. So what makes me qualified to talk to you about an idea that has been debated, written, sung, connected with historical movements, philosophized, and portrayed in various ways on a screen, right? Hollywood. Now, in one sense, I'm not qualified. Um, it's a bit overwhelming to highlight a topic that is old, as old as life itself, right? However, I am confident in what God has to say about love. I'm interested in telling you, and really just anyone who's within an earshot, what true love looks like from God's Word. I am interested in dismissing the feeling-motivated idea of love, Right? I am interested in pushing back against this Aristotelian idea that, that love is self-focused. I think it's important to frame for you a biblical approach to love to help you weed out the garbage that, well, frankly, that you can see when you put into the Amazon.com search field, love. So, so let me be very clear. There is no shortage of people talking about love. There is no shortage of people attempting to explain the meaning of true love. And I think it's safe to say that the meaning and expression of love has been and continues to be perverted. Therefore, my chief goal is to show you 
what our Lord says about love. If you step back and consider the entirety of God's word, what do we see? We see that it is about a loving creator God who has demonstrated love in the most profound way. The Bible is also about our response to a loving God. It's truly amazing to me that in the midst of the ongoing debate and presentation about love, the Bible not only defines love, but it shows us how to love. The Bible doesn't give us any gimmicks on love. Uh, The Bible doesn't give a rip or endorse the commercialization of Valentine's Day. It's not interested in, in placating the pricked conscience. It simply tells us the truth about love. Here's how love is defined in the Bible. In 1 John 4, 8, we read these precious words. God is love. Before Genesis 1-1 was ever written, love was on display. It was on display. The Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perfectly exist in love. Prior to this profound statement in 1 John, it says that love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. If love is defined by God, then what does love look like, right? If we have the definition, now we can ask the question, okay, what does that mean? What we see is love is not focused on the inward self, but it's focused outwards, Again, God shows us what love looks like. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, into the world out of love. John 3.16. Y'all know the verse, right? And in love, the Son died on a cross for the sin of His people. So stop for a moment and think about this demonstration of love. It is sacrificial. Here's another angle to think about God's love for you, Christian. You have sinned and rebelled against God. I don't need to get into your personal life to be able to make that kind of statement. Uh, You can get into your own personal life, and if you're honest with yourself, you know it's true. You might say that you've made mistakes, struggled, or have regrets. Whatever you call it, the Bible says it's sin and rebellion against your Creator. There's nothing lovely about your sin. As a matter of fact, I remember it was the first class that I had in seminary and my Hebrew professor, it was the first thing he said to our class, God hates sin. There's nothing lovely about your sin. But here's where the love of God is so profound. Despite your sin and because of your sin, out of love Christ suffered and died for you out of love. Here's what it says in the Gospel of John. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command. A good friend puts the needs of others before himself, even when it's clear the friend is a sinner. 
Christ took upon his shoulders what you could not do for yourself. He provided a way for you to be reconciled to the holy God of the universe. And if you believe these precious truths about love, then by faith, then indeed you have been reconciled and now now are called a son or daughter of the living and loving God of the universe. So I lay out the gospel right away to you because there are no other avenues to truly understanding love. The depths of love written about in the gospel of Mark only comes together for you when you know how God loved you and how that has been demonstrated through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I want to submit to you that the self-sacrificial love that we read about in the Bible is more radical and more revolutionary than the self-love that is defined by this culture. American culture still believes and demonstrates this Aristotelian self-love. It's all about me, me, me. How do I feel? It's so inward-looking. This idea of love that I think this world has to offer tears up relationships. God's way of love restores relationships. Worldly love is shallow. Godly love is deep and wide. Hollywood love is all about self-fulfillment. You know what I mean. Just watch the movie, pick up the magazine. Biblical love looks to fulfill the needs of others. Everything I've said up to this point is simply to build up to what we have read in the Gospel of Mark. It's the frame Uh, around the picture that we see about what it means to love God and love others. So now that I've kind of framed that for you, let's now look closer and a little bit deeper at this particular passage in Mark, which includes the words of Christ. As you can see from verse 28, Jesus receives uh, a question from a scribe. Uh, The scribe would have been a well-educated Jew, also a a copyist, basically copying um, the Old Testament. You might imagine that a scribe knew his Old Testament well. After all, he was copying over and over and over again. But unlike other circumstances where religious leaders tried to catch Jesus with kind of like a, a gotcha question, like let's, let's ask Jesus this question to see if we can fool him or trick him into giving a response that sounds like heresy so that we can accuse him, right? That, that's oftentimes the case in the Gospels. That's what we see. But here, it seems like Jesus receives a genuine question. The, the scribe simply asked Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? That's verse 28. Here's the deal. This question falls into a perennial category. It's like asking the question, uh, who is the greatest NBA player of all time? Well, it's easy, Michael Jordan, right? Uh, Who's the greatest president to ever live? (laughs) I'm not answering that question. Uh, Who's the greatest leader to ever live, right? And people are just going to give their answers. You know, even if you do a top 10 list, there's always a number one. Who's the greatest? What is the greatest commandment? This is the question that every devout Jew would want to ask Jesus. Why? Because the commandments is essential to Jewish life. 
The commandments is the Magna Carta of Jewish faith. The, the commandments which make up the Jewish law is more important than the U.S. Constitution is to U.S. citizens. The scribe is simply asking, with, with 613 commandments in the Old Testament, what is the most important for us to focus on? The answer from Jesus, not only is it clear, but it's profound. He responds to the scribe, and at first blush, it seems he provides two commands, two commandments. But upon careful consideration, I think Jesus gives two commandments that equal uh, one love commandment. Here's how two separate thoughts kind of come together. The first response from our Lord would have been known in every Jewish synagogue and home. It, it comes from Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Uh, listen to it into its original context, right? Original meaning what Jesus was reflecting on when he was responding to the scribe. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. Uh, this is called the Shema. Uh, the Shema for Jews is like perhaps the, the Pledge of Allegiance being recited before every American sports event or every 4-H club or really any time a group of people gather together. It is recited. Before the command to love God, Jesus lays down a little theology by pointing to the Shema. What does he say? God is one. Jesus teaches us that before you can love God, you need to know who God is. You cannot love something or someone you do not know. I think it is awesome Jesus says God is one because in the very next passage in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus signals that he is God. So he says, God is one. You kind of, we're not getting into it today, but you kind of go to that next passage. That's what he's signaling. That's where I am God. Which means the picture of the three-in-one God is coming together. The chief question we need to ask from the response of Jesus is, what does it mean to love God? Here are a couple of thoughts that I hope to be really practical. Jesus does not call you to love God with half your heart, right? It seems obvious, but it's important to say. Jesus does not call you to love God with only like a bit of your strength. Jesus does not call you to love God with only like your left or your right brain. Jesus calls you to love God with your entire, be entire being. As a matter of fact, in the Greek text, uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength are all qualified with the Greek word for all or whole or entire being. So all of you, everything from head to toe is called to love God. I mean, could you imagine if, uh, if my commitment to my wife looks something like this? Um, let's say she says to me, hey, honey, I love you. And then I respond to her and say, hey, honey, I love you 65.6% right now. Like, that's, that's ridiculous, right? That's not how marriage is supposed to be. And we see that as analogous to our relationship with God. Now, don't get me wrong. There, there are days when the feeling of love is lacking, you know? Uh, there are days when I know I am not the most lovable person in the world, right? Um, which is why 
love, true love, must be greater than an emotion. Uh, Let's go back to the Shema for a moment. In the Shema, the sacred name of God is invoked, Yahweh. Yahweh is the covenantal name of God in the Old Testament. There are other names that are used to say God, like Lord Adonai. Um, But Yahweh in particular is used when we're trying to describe God's covenant with his people. Meaning, the love described in the Shema and then repeated by Jesus isn't based upon or founded upon feeling, but commitment. Certainly, to love your spouse or God means loving with how you feel, without a doubt. But your love is understood in the context of a covenantal commitment. When a spouse says, I do, there should not be an asterisk or a footnote to qualify the statement. It's, I do, period. Same with the love of God and the love for God. It's love born out of a committed covenant. If Jesus would have stopped at the end of verse 30 with the Shema, I don't think anyone would have complained. He recited back the tried and true truth of the importance to love God. All the Jews would have been very happy to receive what Jesus said about, uh, from quoting Deuteronomy, right? But as is the case with Jesus throughout the Gospels, there is more he wants to teach. There is more he wants to show. God is not only concerned with a person's vertical relationship with him, he is concerned with how a person's, how, how that vertical relationship gets worked out in our everyday life, how you interact with other people. It's relational. Jesus taps into what it means to love others. Here's the verse again. Verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So once again, Jesus draws from the scriptures to make his point. This time, Jesus quotes Leviticus 19, verse 18. Now, neighbor is not exclusive to like the person next door. That's generally what we conjure up in in our mind when we read the word neighbor or we speak the word neighbor. It's like, ah, who's next door or who's in my neighborhood? I think actually the word neighbor is much broader than that. The idea of loving your neighbor includes any person you come into contact with. Uh, The love for neighbor is highlighted when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. You might remember the story. It's found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. I'll just summarize it for you. Uh, There was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho along the path. A bunch of robbers basically beat him up, take his money, and guess what? He is potentially going to die. While he's on the road, who comes along? Well, there's a priest, right? There's the man of God. There's the man of the cloth. And what does the priest do? He does one of these things, pretends not to see him, and walks to the other side of the road as if nothing had happened. Who comes next? Well, we got a Levite. He comes along, does the same thing as the priest. we got these godly men who are seeing the man dying on the road, not willing to do anything for the man. What happened after that? We have a Samaritan, a half-breed Jew. Nobody liked the Samaritans. Well, he's the one who took care of this man. He had compassion on him. He took care of him. He helped heal his wounds. And after the Samaritan took the man to the nearest town, he paid for his rent out of his own pocket, and he was willing to pay until his wounds were healed. So tell me, from this particular parable that Jesus gives... 
what does love look like? The parable of the Good Samaritan is the picture of what we read in Mark 12 and Leviticus 19. The context of Leviticus, which Jesus draws from, focuses on neighborhoods and communities. Now, neighbor is not tightly defined, as I said, but we know from other passages in Leviticus, it is important to take care of those of anyone who's traveling through your neighborhood or community. So, when you look down the block of your neighborhood, how can you love your neighbor? Yeah, you should absolutely ask that question. Are there specific neighbors God is calling you to love on? That when you're out and about in the community, are there specific people God is calling you to love on? What about that random person you cross paths with? And it's clear what's written all over that person's face is, I'm having a horrible day. You've seen that face. We've all had that face. And the question is, how are you loving that person? If you are not aware of specific people God is calling you to love on, then ask the Holy Spirit to put people in your path and on your heart. Listen, I I get that COVID-19 has created um, safety parameters and precautions, right? Everyone's, there, there are general parameters and everyone's dealing with it a little bit differently and in their own way. So I do not want anyone to be cavalier about how to act in your community, how to love other people in your community. But I plead with you to hear me on this point. Loving others now is more important than what it was before COVID-19 entered the picture. Do not let COVID-19 prevent you from loving others well. Do not let the devil use the fear that comes from COVID-19 to keep you from loving God and loving others. What does it say in 1 John 4? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There are opportunities all around you, even right now, to love others well. From verse 31, we also see how we are called to love others. You are supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I do not think we are supposed to ask the question, how do I want to be treated, so I'm going to go treat that person that way. I don't think that's what Jesus is actually getting at here. I don't think Jesus is prodding us to ask us this self-diagnosing question. Jesus already knows that you and I are predisposed to self-love. Here's the point I think Jesus is making. Loving others means sacrifice. It means sacrificing your personal gain for the benefit of another person. Here is really the true paradox of the Christian life. The more you love yourself, the more you forget yourself and consider the needs of other people. If you want to ask yourself a diagnostic question, here it is. What am I willing to give up for the gain of someone else? Not a bad question to ask in light of what Jesus says here. Perhaps you have a list. What are you willing to give up? You can list it out. What's on the list of things you're willing to give up for someone else? Well, it's also worth worth asking, what is... What is not on that list? What are you unwilling to give up for the gain of another? Now that question gets to the heart of the matter. That question helps you see what keeps you from loving others well as God is intending you to do. 
here is what I know, and I'm sure all of you know this as well. Loving others is wonderful. It is absolutely wonderful. Loving others well brings glory to God. Loving others well builds up the church. Loving others well brings gospel light to our surrounding community. But loving others well is hard. It's hard because of sin. I mean, let's get real local for a moment. Real local. Like in your home local. <laughs> Many of you are in close proximity with others in your house. And, you are, and the question is, are you loving others well? I mean, COVID-19 has definitely forced families to be in constant close proximity with one another. So parents, what does it look like to love your children in a way that Jesus describes in Mark 12? Uh, kids, if you're listening, like this, this applies to you as well. Kids of all ages, what does it look like to put the needs of your brother and sister over yourself? Like when you're fighting over that toy, you know, you, that toy's in the middle and you're both at each end of that toy. And it's like, who's going to get that toy? What, is it, what does loving your sibling look like? Are you willing to give that to your brother and sister? Well, we read in scripture, that is what love is. Yes, here, take it. Husband and wife, are you pursuing ways to love your spouse well? It seems clear there's nothing like a pandemic to test if, you love God, if your love for God matches your love for others. You know, I think Jesus makes these commandments really personal. And he wants us to, to take them personally. Uh, when Jesus speaks to the scribe, uh, he is speaking to you and to me. I find it interesting that Jesus says you, first person singular, all in, in addressing the scribe. And he's speaking to you as well. There, there are times in the Gospels where Jesus is asked a question, and then he basically pivots and turns to the crowd and addresses the entire crowd. That's not what happens here. He gets the question, and then he speaks right to the scribe. And I think he speaks right to us as well. Jesus wants every person to make um, this statement personal. So he wants you, who is watching and listening, to consider for yourself what it means to love God and love others. I said earlier that Jesus seems to be giving um, two separate commandments, and he even draws from two different passages from the Torah. And I understand if someone reads this passage and sees two commandments, right? But here's what I see. We have two commandments that are connected by love. I know it's obvious, but sometimes acknowledging the obvious is important. Think of it this way. It is not possible to truly love your God with your entire being if you are not loving others. Conversely, your works of love are an expression of your love for God. Uh, one theologian connects a love for God and love for others by saying, we are to love God supremely and love our fellow humans genuinely. The simple point I want you to see is that when you love your spouse, child, neighbor, etc., genuinely, then you are demonstrating a supreme love for God. The question from the scribe, which Jesus answers, is here, and it's also driven home by the Apostle Paul in Romans 13. Here's what it says. 
owe no one everything, excuse me, owe no, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the, what does it say? The fulfilling of the law. So yeah, want to know what it looks like to fulfill the law? Love others and love God. Your love for God is going to be expressed as you love others. I don't know about you, but what the scribe says to Jesus in response, so we've got the question, Jesus responds, and then the scribe responds to Jesus, is remarkable as well. Here's why. At first, the scribe uh, affirms the response of Jesus by basically repeating what he said. But then he says in verse 33 that loving God and loving others is more important than the burnt offerings. It's more important than the sacrifices. The scribe really put himself out on a limb by saying that the love of God and others is greater than everything going on right behind him in the temple. You know, I think if the scribe had friends who were watching, they probably would have pulled him aside afterwards and let him know that he was potentially speaking heresy. The scribe not only went after the ceremonial laws, but he went after deep-rooted traditions. And if you know anything about traditions in churches, be very wary to go after those traditions because people hold tightly to them. But the scribe wasn't relenting. He was seeing what Jesus was seeing. For my money, the response of the scribe is unexpected. During the earthly ministry of Jesus, he received more gotcha questions from religious leaders with unhealthy motives. But the scribe is beginning to see the truth. Which is why Jesus says to him in verse 34, Yet you are not far from the kingdom of God. I take this to mean that if this scribe ever believes Jesus is the Son of God, then it will, it will all begin to click for him. Love will move from his head to his heart and then directed toward his God and his neighbors. So in closing, as we've looked at Mark 12 and try to wrestle with and grasp with what it means to love God with our entire being and to love our neighbors, I want to encourage you to think about just the simple idea of what does it mean to love well? I want you to pray about what it means to love well. And then I want you to act out what it means to love well. Love God, love others. The greatest command our Lord gives us is to love. Let's pray. And Father, and so help we need, help from you by the power of the Spirit to love well. We, would, we do want to love you with our entire being. And we want to love our neighbors, especially in light of this COVID-19 context. And, and I pray by the power of your spirit that you would speak and instruct our hearts. Not only may a greater desire burn in us to love, but help us to act that out, whether it's in our families or in the community or our neighborhoods. And give us wisdom and guidance to pray in Jesus' name.